part of the conversations that happen around my kitchen table. He's John Brannion and he's been a stand-up comic for more than 30 years. She's Amanda McKinney and she's been my daughter for her whole life. Our family believes laughter is a gift from God. We often discover it while discussing culture, faith, and family. So go ahead and pull up a chair, neighbor. Can I call you Carl? There's plenty of room here for you. (laughs) That that is going to be a fantastic video. (laughs) It'll make you sick. He is flipping, Colin is flipping the phone over and over and over and it's the sort of video that people want to watch. It doesn't even do that. Like, my phone will automatically flip the camera when you try to turn it over, I think. Sometimes. <laughs> Are you that cold? It's pretty cold. <laughs> so we're having a snowstorm. It's just, this isn't even really a snowstorm. Not a storm. It, it is snowing. It's just snow. And when I was a kid, we would get this sort of stuff once or twice a week. Nobody thought anything about it. No one cared. Now we get snow, and it is an event. It's like a volcanic eruption. Man, I wanted him to document you guys all wrapped up in your snuggies, but he was doing camera tricks instead. I wish this was a snuggie. That would be better. I wouldn't wear it, but it'd be better. <laughs> you wouldn't wear it if it was a snuggie, but you think you look more masculine and less silly. So, what is it that it's a snuggie? Is it just it's the, mostly the, mostly that it's the a snuggie, snuggie? Seems I wouldn't put my arms in the sleeves. I'll say that. Well, then there's no reason to have a snuggie. Exactly, you're not going to put your arms in the sleeve. Nobody would know if I took a picture of you right now. Nobody would know whether that was a snuggie or not. Is my point. Oh, they My probably would. My body would know. My testosterone would just start ticking downwards. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what are we talking about today? Mm-hmm. He wants what, to change the subject. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? What do I want to talk about? Uh, if it were up to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Church wow. discipline. Because mm-hmm. okay. there was. Well, I don't know if you realized it, but the little thing that you just sort of casually threw out last week about. Uh, Hang out with hang sinners. out with sinners. It mm-hmm. became like a major thing. That became a juggernaut of conversation. It almost got us disciplined at our church. We almost got disciplined. <laughs> if it, that was a thing, <laughs> if that was a thing that churches yeah, did, if, if our church practiced so. church discipline, we might have gotten disciplined. I don't. I don't think I started that wave. I think I just. Yeah, you did. It was you a brought up the... I brought it up, but it was already mm. a topic I didn't know about. It was the topic of the sermon, essentially. Mm. I didn't know that was going to happen. Right, but like that's that's what I'm saying. Like you said it, and then it became published on the podcast, and then Dad said something on Facebook in a post, and then and everything went crazy. You were prophetic. Yeah. I'll take credit for that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness, we actually have a lot to talk about, and I don't know how we're going to weave it all in because I just realized this is the first podcast after the MLK service that I went to. Oh, is that what you wanted to talk about? Well, I thought like it was worth because that had to do with hanging out with sinners too. Mm-hmm. Do we have fellowship? Mm-hmm. I actually went to a church with people who profess to be Christians and knew about ten minutes into it. Oh yeah, I don't have fellowship with these people. They right. are not worshiping the same Christ that I profess right and so i thought it was like square in my mind or like front and center in my mind the whole time because we were fresh off of that conversation so yeah Yeah. i remember how shocking it was when we first realized that there are people who are who profess to be christians who actually are not christians at all and maybe maybe i'm just speaking for myself and i'm speaking out of turn but i remember being really rattled and now, a few years later, it's like, oh yeah, you go to a church, and I'm actually surprised when people are, well, <laughs> when people are actually theologically the thing, uh, stable. Right. The thing that occurred to me while I was sitting there, because they, the first thing that we did in this service, one of the first things, was we sang a like rousing, imprecatory psalm style, like down with enemies, we will conquer kind of song. Right. And while at the we're, MLK thing at the MLK service, and while I was there like looking at the lyrics that were printed for me on this program, I was like, oh my gosh, like 
We I'm would, singing for my own demise. We would get in big trouble if we sang this at my white church. <laughs> like, right. We would be in so much trouble. Right. But somehow it's okay to sing it here in this context. Like, you know, we, we are victorious. There's not a mention of Jesus anywhere. Not a mention of the blood of Christ. Not he is going to be victorious. We are going we. to be victorious. And the whole service was dedicated to Martin Luther King as an individual, not his Christian faith, not, you know, the the thing that he at least sometimes professed to believe, but him as a person, right. it was it was an idolization of the man. Um, and I thought to myself again, like, well, this this guy who gave the sermon actually said at one point um that like he listed different like heroes of different denominations, like, oh, the Lutherans have Luther or um, the Wesleyans have Wesley and, you know, mm-hmm. like he's, he's listing all these. And as he's doing that, Buddhists, they have uh, Buddha, they have Gandhi and the Hindu faith, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, universalists have Richard Rohr, by the way. And um, he listed them like he listed all of these people, like they all are equally valuable, but right. that's not even the point I'm making. The point I was making was, oh my gosh, if we ever had a service honoring John Calvin in or um, or Wesley, or, you know, if we ever had a service like this honoring a white man, it would be all over the place. Right. That, like, we were heretics. Like, right. it would be obvious to everyone that we had crossed a line and we're no longer worshiping Christ, but we're worshiping our own skin color. Like, that would be obvious, but somehow we've missed it when it comes to uh, Martin Luther and these urban churches that can honor him in such a way. Well, I don't know that we've missed it, as much as we just are, uh, we, we just know what will happen if we, we don't, bring it up. I don't, we're not even tempted to. Like, I don't think of those people and then immediately think they're white. Right. You know what I mean? It's not something that we're colorblind. Right. Right. But even if you did, even if you wanted to give them credit where it's due, you would have it in the back of your mind oh, I wouldn't want to cross any sort of lines into idolatry. And I promise there wasn't a person in that room who was worried about idolatry, and they should have been. There wasn't a person in there who was like, man, are we giving a little, are we putting too much faith in humanity? Are we putting too much faith in, like, external appearances here? Isn't it kind of weird that literally everybody who's been mentioned who is black is considered a brother even like Trayvon Martin and Breonna Taylor, who were not professing Christians, but we still identify with them. And on the other they hand, they were still listed as, as like prophets, right? Prophets. They? And anytime a anytime a white man was mentioned, I mean, anytime it was to discredit and you know uh, tear him down, like Robert E. Lee, you know, and George Washington owned slaves, and right. you know, so and so. I forget who. Oh, even Bill Clinton, you know, he cheated on his wife with a woman named. Monica Lewinsky, and it's like, like we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> call out white people for any and everything, and we're also gonna give credit to black people for any and everything. That was the whole service, and nobody even batted an eyelash. Right. Like I promise, it wasn't even a, a passing, fleeting, you know, thought. So, right. It was and, an well, and just experience. bringing it up though is the the reason. Well, again, I don't think that people. I don't think that's lost. On a lot of people, I don't think it's lost on uh, members of certain black churches. I think there's a, I, I, I think it's, I think it's understood. I think the people correctly identify it as racist and inappropriate, but they don't say anything because you ca- you cannot uh, you cannot win that. You you it is just it's social suicide. Right. To, well, to say, oh, MLK, that MLK service was inappropriate. I mean, it's just, you, you can't say that. Right. You, you can't say that. Well, one of the things that I actually went into it looking for were, like, things that things that I could be positive about, and I found it. Like, in the very, very beginning, I was thinking to myself, my goodness, this is actually encouraging because I know that Martin Luther King was an amazing speaker. He was excellent at, um, he was very persuasive. He was excellent at getting people to rally behind his cause. And he also believed very firmly in doing things now, not waiting for the future. Like we, we white people, we white Christians, we love the idea that like 
some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly that's over. when we suddenly get down to business. Like that's when all the things are really going to matter. But literally everything for the next 80 years here on earth is just, we don't have to, you know. Just waiting. Just waiting for just God waiting. to call me home. Right. We're yeah. sitting around twiddling our thumbs, being lazy, and we have nothing to Well, we're hanging out with sinners. <laughs> we are. <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about that some more, but... We are doing that. I'm doing that. Right. But but we don't have any jobs to do. And and one of the things that was re- I was reminded of, not by that service, because heaven forbid we should talk about like a black actual Christian, but um, uh, shoot, what's, I don't want to say Frederick Douglass because that's not who I mean. Oh, George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver was um, the founder of Tuskegee or one of them, and his... He and his students, you know this story, but maybe you've forgotten. He and his students had nowhere to live when they first showed up on campus because nobody wanted to fund school for black people, mm-hmm. right? And so they wanted to learn, and they they had no books. <laughs> they wanted to live on campus. They had no housing. They had no campus. <laughs> they wanted to eat occasionally. They mm-hmm. had no food. And so what their what their actual curriculum became was learning how to garden, learning how to make bricks and learning how to um, uh, become business people, like how to, how to actually market and like make a living. They basically learned to trade. It was like trade school. Yeah. Yeah. And they worked together to build an actual community of like a a functioning community that was self-sustaining. So they, they grew their own food and they built their own buildings. They built their own school before they could even live in it, you know? Um, And, and so, I was hearing all of that and going, yes, yes, that is the kind of stuff that resonates with humans of all of all colors. Yeah, like Christians right. need to know how to do that. Christians need to know how to support each other with that because they have a shared foundation, they have a shared goal, they love Christ, and so together because they have that in common, they have all things in common, and so now we can build. Right. And they've created something that still lasts. Like to this day, it's still going on. Um. <clears throat> and so I was I was thinking of that, and I was like, yes, I can really respect Martin Luther King Jr. and anybody else who was who was great at casting a vision like that and getting people fired up. But I immediately, like I said, I immediately was aware that if if and when we as white people start talking about working together, um, you know, having shared community, having a shared vision, and um, doing something in the here and now. We're accused of being exclusive, keeping people out. Kinists. Yep, we're kinists or um, racists, white supremacists, or right. whatever. And even if you include other people from other back, you know, cultural backgrounds, it's still well, you just have the token black person or right. the token Hispanic, and it's like right. that's what I'm saying. You can't win. You right. can't. You can't participate in the conversation because it's locked up on all sides, and you're excluded just because of your skin color. That's it. And and there's no apologies given for that. It's it is, uh, it's considered righteousness. It's considered uh, retribution. It's considered reparations. It's right. like you you need to sit down. You've talked you've talked for too long now. Right. And, uh, what did you learn about Martin Luther King this this week, Luke? You did some research on him. Right. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What did I learn? <laughs> well, you were the one who said that. He wasn't even a oh yeah Christian. I've read some of his early papers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he he doesn't believe in the resurrection. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. Mm-hmm. He thought that he was the fullness of man to the point that he was then like sort of acceptable to God. I guess is a way of putting it. But yeah, the whole deity of Jesus is pretty important. In the Christian faith. Um, well, well, it is if what you care about is truth and, like, consistency. But if all you want from Christianity is some really leverage. rousing one-liners, then, yeah. like, literally, I um, I don't remember who it was, but there's a, it's from a socialist handbook, basically, that says as long as you, you can win people with rhetoric and mm-hmm. once you've won them, you don't even have to continue to profess what you said to win them over in the first place. Right. Like you can say something like, you know, Jesus 
Jesus is the reason that we're here. Jesus is the reason for the season. We're all here because we love Jesus. And then literally once everybody's on your side, you can just dispense with all of that and nobody's going to care anymore. Right. And the cross politic guys had um, a guy named Chad. Oh, I can't remember his last name now. He, they had him come on the show recently. I think it was actually on Monday, which was MLK day. And um, he was talking about how this, how Martin Luther King didn't even want to be a minister in the, in the, beginning he just he wanted to be a professor but he was actually told to go into ministry because he would have an easier time manipulating people basically right. he would have an easier time rising to power if he uh leveraged the respectability that southern people usually gave to people in the pulpit and so that's what he did and it was funny because as they talked about it on cross politic they have they lay it all out you know and in the comment section of that video on youtube somebody's down there going why are we even why are we even being nitpicky about these things that a guy said early on in his ministry like why does it even matter and why get, like why you gotta kick a man like that you know <laughs> why you gotta be so judgmental right. why do you gotta be so truthful about stuff right like i don't even see what difference it makes and it's like right you don't see what difference it makes that Christ rose from the dead for our sins because the theology has never mattered to you. It's always been performance. And so there was a lot of performance going on on Monday. And yeah, there are people who point blank said, once you give a good performance and you get them to clap for you, you don't have to be consistent anymore. And that guy in the comment section proved that to be very true. Yep. So I've been thinking lately about something Doug Wilson said about how writing a wrong the wrong way is wrong. <laughs> and, and it's like he was talking about, you know, like the civil rights movement, how that actually did a lot of damage and wasn't necessarily done the right way. Um, and he, even as far back as the Civil War, which was a, a giant mistake, um, and how it was not really, I, I mean, slaves were an aspect of it, but there were slave owners in the union, like slave owning states in the union, and their markets continued to operate. Right. And it, it was a it was it was about federal government versus states' rights, really, and the federal government right. won. But as But we, you can't say right. the Civil War was a mistake without you know, and a giant mob of people, people say, coming oh, so after you. Support yeah. slavery. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Because as we've talked about before, and in the, people in the don't book, care about truth. They're the, not that's not even what they're having this conversation for in the first place. Right. So the book uh Bringing out the sheaves, I think it was. He talks about the giant disaster that welfare was. Mm -hmm. Like this was the aim and the goals of welfare, and in its first year, it missed them by a ton and actually had the opposite effect. And so they threw more money at it right. and more money at it and more. And it's just it's continued to do the opposite of what they wanted it to do. Right. But we still have it. Right. And and we can't have this conversation with people unless and until they agree that this is not about who's the loudest and, you know, the most emphatic. It's going to have to be about whose facts right. line up with reality. And right. that was not... It's not about who's benefiting from welfare. It's not about... Yeah, it's just about truth. It, it was very obvious to me, sitting in that service, that um, these are people who've been raised to clap when somebody's loud. Mm -hmm. And literally been taught how to cheer for a good delivery and not listen at all to the implications of what's being said. So as a quick example, one of the things that this pastor went on, um, one of his rhetorical devices was to repeat the same phrase over and over and over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. um, and that he, and endless lists. It yes. Sounded like. Well, that's, that's what I'm getting at. Okay. One of, at one point he was like, you know, why did they hate him? Why did they hate MLK? Um, they actually, he never called him MLK. He always referred to him as Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the whole thing. That's how you have to refer to them now that they've been to college. Too, they've been to seminary, and all of their, all of their leaders in this church had like twelve names. Reverend Dr. Royal. Right. right. Reverend Dr. Honorable. Right. Sir. Excellent. Yeah. PhD. Mm -hmm. Anyway, BS. <laughs> PhD, BS. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't 
care about college degrees. When, some, when somebody insists that I reference their college degree, it makes me have even less respect right, for them. Right, right. But like, that's my gosh. That's the gotta, culture we've been raised in. It's so, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for even admitting that you went to college. <laughs> I know I am. I know I feel like a chump no, but, having gone to college. But if the, if the place that you're going into is one where everybody present is going to cheer for you purely because they heard the name of your college, hmm. even if they have no idea what city and state it's in, like then yeah, it becomes it follows you around. It needs to be something you make important because because the sheep, the crowd, has been taught to make it important, and it, it immediately <sighs> gives you a certain um, yeah a certain power play that you can do. Um, but but at any rate, he was saying you know why did they hate him? Uh, he didn't hold slaves like George Washington. Mm-hmm. He didn't. Uh, I don't remember all of the different... I do remember he didn't uh, cheat on his wife, and I kind of stopped for a second and raised my eyebrows. He certainly did. He he paused. He goes, with a woman named Monica Lewinsky. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got us there. And I went, oh, yep, you're right about that. You got us there. He did not cheat on his wife. With a woman named Monica, named Lewinsky. Monica Lewinsky. So good for him. Kudos to, to Dr. Reverend. Right. Well, there's, there it is. That's, yeah. That is how rhetoric works. But yeah, but then he said it, he, they Gosh. hated him. They hated him. Why? For one word. One word that got him hit with a fire hose. One word that had him ostracized from polite company. One word. That one three-letter word. One three-letter word. What is this one word? That he had following him around, like just gone. He went on and on, and the one word that caused everyone to hate him was what was it, Luke? Uh, yes, yes, because he said yes, yes to equality. He said <laughs> yes okay. because equality to... was the word I thought it was going to be. No, nope, it was hit yes, and I'm sitting there going. If you listen to what this guy is saying, if you called him, like, do you was take he looking away the at bluster while he preached, or was this all top of the head stuff? He read, he read it from a okay, like a twelve-page okay, yeah, because it almost seems like he's just coming out of nowhere with this. Nope, okay. he read it from top to bottom on a whole bunch of pre-printed pieces of paper. But like, if you take away his bluster and his confidence, and just listen to what he's saying. Everybody hated Martin Luther King Jr. because he said, said yes. yes to equality. Well, yeah. because he said because he, he said yes. He didn't even yeah right. say that at first. Right, he right. said yes to equality. He said yes to God's call on his life. He said yes to. And that's why everybody hated him. Yeah, yeah. That's why everybody hated him. It's it's more rhetoric, but it's revisionist history too to make it out to seem like all white people were against all black people. Well, it seems a little bit, and that all white people had slaves back right. then. It was like it was a small subset of the population that was causing it, problems. It seems a little bit out of touch to me to talk about how hated a guy was who has a national holiday, <laughs> you know, and shuts down the government and schools in, you know, an observation of this day. I mean, that's not a guy, that's not a guy who was hated, right? Well, he was murdered. Well, but so was, so was John F. Kennedy. You know, a lot of people have been assassinated. Right. But that doesn't mean that they were hated. Um, there's a, people get assassinated for a number of reasons. Um, yeah, it's, but the idea that, but that's that's always, that's always on the forefront of the argument too. Is that the people who are opposed to uh, that particular movement, the people who are opposed to the movement, uh, or people who are opposed to reparations, for example, it's because they hate black people, you know, and that and that's just the narrative. That's right. how the narrative works. Any right. any sort of opposition that you have to an idea is because you don't. Because you hate the person who's presenting it, um, and it's cheap and it's not truthful, and again, that's part of the reason that you can't say anything. You can't, you can't have a dialogue because any sort of opposition is hatred. By the way, I think I said George Washington Carver was the one who built Tuskegee, and I meant Booker T. Washington, but they knew each other. By the way, just 
Carver still was involved in school. He was. He was the peanut guy. Carver was the peanut guy. Booker T. Washington was the guy who actually established Tuskegee and then subsequently invited Carver to come and teach later. So anyway, they all have Washington in their names. All All the freed slaves wanted to have Washington in their name for whatever reason. And so then it gets real confusing for people like me. But... Um, you don't have to explain yourself. No. Yeah, we already know. Um, what? How can we transition this to? Well, the I other wanted thing? to talk about church discipline. Oh yeah, was it something Briefly. specific? Well, because that'll work, I think. Why do you want to talk about <clears throat> church discipline? Because another another post has been making the rounds, and it got me upset. The same thing, like the Jesus hung out with sinners business. Okay. Uh, this was a woman sharing a letter. That she got from her church, mm-hmm. uh, basically informing her that it has been unanimously decided that your membership has been terminated, mm-hmm. and unanimously since, decided. Yes. Wow. Uh, since you refused to accept the letter we sent you in November, that outlines the reasons for the action. Uh, we will review them here. You initiated separation in your marriage without good cause, stating you wanted to begin your relationship with another man. Uh, seems you have no desire to keep your family together, uh, being unfaithful to the marriage vow that you took before God. And you continue to post many unchristian, even indecent pictures and messages on social media. Uh, you have refused counsel or advice from your husband, your pastor, and many of your close church family. Uh, we have been praying for you. Uh, we hope that God will show up in your life. Uh, but yeah, essentially, don't let the door... They also right. returned her most recent tithe check of $500. <laughs> and so she posts this on the internet looking for, you know, sympathy. Right. Looking for uh, the outrage mob. Yeah, I to, don't even think it's real. This particular post that I think was not even the original one has 2.1 thousand comments. You don't think it's real? I don't think it's real. It's, I don't know where these real. places exist. I don't. I want to know what the name of the church is so I can... It, it says. It says even the pastor's name. And now the church has like one-star review or whatever, because it's getting probably bombed. Uh, but yeah, all the comments, even all the comments from professing believers. If you're going to Yelp to look for a church, <laughs> you're not doing it right. Yeah. Uh, if you're picking out a church based on reviews. What a shock. A religion that has a long history of misogyny, casting out a woman. Yeah, and it, it, they're all like that. It's a, a few of them are like, this is what a biblical church looks like. Right. Uh, that... That has 112 replies to it. I'll bet. Until the I church actually comes forward and says, yes, we sent that letter and we stand behind it, I am calling hoax. I don't think people have the backbone for that anymore. I don't. I don't wow. know if any... I've grown up in church. I've been to hundreds this of This is churches. like a hospital refusing to provide patient medical treatment <laughs> because they're sick. I never recall... Uh, reading that Jesus never came for the well, but for the sick. That's and that's yeah. our fault for saying that. Yeah, we're not a museum for saints; we're a hospital for sinners. God, please seal these it's lips like, because actually, I really want to say a lot about this letter and this church and this committee. Seriously, who y'all judging today? We're actually not a museum for saints or a hospital for sinners. Right. We're a hospital for saints. <sighs> so anyway, so. that has got me a little bit upset. That, that's so, like here's a church acting yeah. like a real church. And if they allegedly, are. allegedly, we have to look at Mandy every time we say that. I don't, and I know nothing about this pastor. Eyes. I know nothing about this church. I'm not recommending either right. of them. But this is a, I I like this. Well, this let's be just more. let's just assume for the conversation that it's a real thing. Let's assume that they that they exist. Uh, I don't know if I can. <laughs> It's like when people post. It's like when when waitresses. So you think post, she you think she posted like a waitress would say, "I didn't get left a tip." Right. And there were uh, there was four hundred people at the table and kids, and they set things on fire and right. they broke glass <laughs> on my head. And all they gave and me they was didn't this tract. Right. It becomes an urban legend now that like that church people are bad. And here's the here's the story that you know highlights it. Here's the anecdote that everybody shares. Here, I didn't get a tip on Sunday and. Everybody rises up and says, oh, I didn't get a tip on Sunday either. And it's like, okay, right. so then why are you such a terrible waitress on Sundays? Like, that could be an explanation. This this person who posted this letter could be the kind of person who wants to get a lot of attention, and she's getting it. And, I like, if you've got Jesse Smollett 
you know, if you got him out there <laughs> pretending to get I uh, hear you. sprayed I hear in the face you. with whatever, having a bag put over his head this or whatever. This is MAGA country. It does, yes. it does <laughs> say something, though. I mean, even, even if it is... Even if it is a hoax, if people are reacting to it as if it was real, it says something about the state of our of our culture, where a church is not allowed to right. say. I mean, if she if she did those things, right. if she actually did all those things, to have thousands of people show up and go, "What do you mean kicking her out?" It's like, what what do you? Why was she there in the first place? You know, why why does she want to go to a church like that? That's going to let it. Why would anybody want to go to a church where, where there's no rules, where where you can do whatever you want, and they will uh, accommodate you? Well, what's the what's the point? I know why she would want to go to a church like that. It's so that she could play the victim and cry that she's not allowed to post things that are lewd on social media and rip her family apart and abuse her spouse and abuse her kids. And like, she wants to be able to be in charge. She wants to have the power of, um, the power that comes with being able to say, cough, cough, I'm so sick and nobody will help me. And by the way, the whole hospital system is built on this now too. It's, It's funny that we keep wanting to compare churches with hospitals. Like people who claim that they need help and they're desperate and they just want, you know, they just want to get this health situation taken care of. You try, you know, and then they have other com- they have other complaints about how well they also mentioned my weight. And it's like, right, well, your weight has something to do with your health there. You know, oh, they wanted to, to know what my gender is and I prefer not to share. Or they told me I should change this medication and I love this medication. It's the only thing that's helped in the last however many years. Right. And they said that the side effects are bad. And it's like, right. okay, again. I, I do know why they want to go to the hospital, but it's not the reason they're giving. It's not because right. they want to get better. It's because they want to yank doctors around by their necks and be the one in charge. I actually have a friend. Luke and I have a mutual acquaintance that um, he doesn't know. <laughs> Can you guys hear that? Can you? No, it's just funny to watch it. This microphone is broken on my headset, Carl. So every time I turn my head, it's like smacking me in the face. And it sounds loud. It sounds like somebody's hitting... Nobody, the side I can't of the, hear it. It's just a, a funny visual. No, All right. No, Go you're ahead. good. But there's a there's a person that we went to school with long, 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 long time ago who is now in the hospital um, because her baby is um, coming premature, and they're not sure exactly how premature it's going to be, but they're trying to hold it in for a while. <laughs> they want to they delay as long as they can, so she's bedridden in the hospital. But while she's laid up in the hospital, she's posting from social media about how all the things they're doing wrong and the mistreatment right. she's getting right. and how it's ironic that she's usually, the job that she does during the day normally when she's not on maternity leave is to advocate for people who aren't getting, you know, the kind, Proper of, care. Yeah, the kind of treatment <laughs> they deserve. And now, right. now that it's her, she's really having a hard time doing it. You know, it's having a hard time standing up for herself the way she would stand up for one of her clients. Yeah. Just on and on and on. Well, and, that became a thing a while back where... Where, you know, you go to the, people go into the doctor now ready to do combat. I mean, they just go in expecting that they're going to be lied to and manipulated and they're not going to get care and they're not going to be met with compassion. And so they just go in with those expectations. And we need to, you need to stand up for yourself when you go to the hospital. It's like, what? You're going to the hospital because Mm. you can't stand up oftentimes and... The best argument that I've heard, uh, and it was in our little service that we do on Sundays, was when you you asked the question, is it a good shepherd if they don't protect their sheep from wolves? If they leave the pin gate open and allow wolves to just come in and eat sheep, you know, is that, are you being, are you loving your flock? Right. And, And you can't answer that and say yes. And so when you liken it to allowing somebody like this to stay in a church, right. unrepentant. But they're having a hard right. time identifying right. who's who. They're having a hard time recognizing who the wolves are and who the sick sheep are, quote unquote. And that's why everybody, everybody wants to identify as a sick sheep. Right. If you're a sick sheep, you get for, you get fed, you know, <laughs> you get to sit around and let other people bring your food to you and you never get held accountable for all the damage that you're doing. But, you know, of course, wolves 
sometimes dress in sheep's clothing. And now if they're smart, they dress in sick sheep's clothing. And that's how they get away with it. Right. They end up posting stuff just like that. And they'll have thousands of people coming to their defense, even though they are, they are abusive. And it's very similar to the situation I talked about before, where I was aware that if white churches had the same kind of celebration that this black church had on Monday, we would be held to a different standard. If a man stepped forward and was like, let's say he goes to John MacArthur's church, right? And John MacArthur's elders kicked a man out because he was not taking care of his kids and his wife. He refused to get a job. He was posting things on social media that he shouldn't have posted. He was addicted to pornography. So they, they would said, say that's as it should be. Right. They So they sent him his tithe check back and sent him packing. Goodbye. Right. They'd be like, see, this is what we've been talking about. This is the kind of accountability that, that churches have needed to have to get in order for a long time because Because men, there's a lot of toxic men yep, out there who yep. need to be put in their place. Yep. That when you don't allow a woman to be abusive like that, well, suddenly you get the complete... That's, that's true. I think if they yeah. were to acknowledge that wolves exist, they would all be men. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. all of the bad Only guys Only male are men. wolves. There are no female wolves. Yeah. That's why I actually told you once, Luke, when one of my one, They're of, all men. one of my college friends was talking to you about John MacArthur's church mm. and how he they did a terrible job holding this guy accountable. And I said, well, if she wants to talk about church discipline, let's say how would she feel if John MacArthur's church called her out for gossip? And uh, I don't oh. know if we said that or not, but that was my first thought was, yeah, every, bit, every feminist loves the idea of church discipline until... She's told Until she's disciplined. what she should be doing out on social Well, we had to, you know, Luke's point. There's something, I had a conversation last night with some guys who are all Christian guys, and I like them. Um, but one of them was talking about the uh, the megachurch. His, his kids go to a megachurch, and he doesn't go to a megachurch anymore. He's, he used to, and he's recently started going to a smaller church because, in his words, it's cringy now. I can't stand it. I can't stand what goes on at the mega church. And we were on. I'm like, I, I get it. I'm all on board. But his his kids go there. His son and his daughter in law go to this mega church. And so when he goes with them to church, he goes, oh, I just hardly can't stand it. And I said, well, you're going to have to talk to them about it, right? And he goes, well, you know, she's. He he said, the only reason that my son goes is because he's being supportive of his wife. And as he's talking, I'm starting to cringe now. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh man, that each it's not, it can't work that way. You have to say something to him. Well, I don't want to, I want to be supportive and I, and I want to be loving. And I said, it's because you love them that you tell them these things. Um, and so you're, you're talking about the, the shepherd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The shepherd has to keep the wolves at bay. And sometimes he has to smack the sheep with his, shepherd staff to keep them in line and if if you've got a if you if if you've left your church because you can't stand it and and you're aware of all of the theological problems that go along with it but you don't say anything to your kids who are still going that's a problem that's it should not be that way you should have the stomach and the spine to stand up and go hey i'm not going to this church anymore not because not because it's just a, an opinion that I have, but I have some really good, sound theological reasons for not going, and you should not go either for the same reasons. But that we were talking, and I said, but it's really difficult for evangelicals to do that. It's it's really hard for for anybody, specifically for Christian men, to say. Yeah, I'm right, and you're wrong about this, and you should do what I'm doing. We just we don't do it. Was women that, have less problem doing that. I, I, the women in your family have less of a problem doing that. Yeah, but um, women can be people pleasers too. Yeah, I don't think it's very. I think it's just our family that actually <laughs> doesn't have as much of a problem with this. It seems like everywhere I go, everybody else, men and women both, are struggling with honesty and telling the truth and really prioritizing. Like what matters? Is it matter? Does it matter to temporarily spare feelings? Like you know, does it? Is it better for us to keep the peace or the so-called peace here now in this moment, or is it better to have that awkward conversation because you know, because yeah, this church is going down, and we don't want our loved ones to go down with them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, we were specifically we were talking about the uh, the process of evangelism, and they have a a different view about how evangelism works than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, markedly different, and they are they're people who measure based on quote unquote decisions for Christ, and they keep track of that stuff. Right. We had this many decisions for Christ. And, and I'm still cringing. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, a decision for Christ is, a, is not an indicator of a, of a new disciple. No. And so... No, the indicator is whether the people that you have discipled, say your children, are able to recognize good, sound theology or not. And leave a church. Yeah. Right. How much wisdom do the people right. that you have brought into the faith actually display? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Well, what if, here's what he said. He said, well, she goes to that church because, and, and, and all of them were agreed, all, because she actually did, she accepted Jesus. She learned about the Lord. She accepted the Lord at that church. And so it, she feels, and all of that, it just made it worse for me. <laughs> it's like, it, it's, did she? I mean, and, and so, so she's accepting, she accepted Jesus. She heard about Jesus at this church. And so now, it, Jesus is inextricably tied to that congregation and those policies and that. Uh, it's just all of that is so messed up. It's all so right. so incorrect. Well, it's we hard. can't leave now because this is where I heard about Jesus. It's like, well, did you? That's that's where you heard about it. Right. It's I, hard to measure. It's hard to measure Christian growth. I mean, it's hard. You you can't put it on a nice, easy spreadsheet to convince your donors to give. Like, you have to... Ex- well, they do. Like, the kinds of things <laughs> that I'm doing on a daily basis with our four kids are not going to really impress the big names with the big checkbooks. Like, because <clears throat> it takes a long time to to plant seeds and water the seeds and, you know, and weed, you know, pull out some of the weeds and, like... If I were going to be giving my monthly newsletter newsletter from the mission field, people would be like, my gosh, how much longer are we going to be hearing about these same four kids <laughs> who are making a decision for... You know, how long ago did they make their decision for Christ? So here's the story. Here's the story that they regaled me with. And, and I want to reiterate that I really like these guys and we had a good conversation. Um, I like them. And they were open. But one of them has a guy that goes to his church who I guess was a uh, motorcycle guy back in the 60s and famous and like in in magazines and stuff like that. As a motorcycle 60s. guy. Yeah, well, like mm-hmm. a BMX guy. Or oh, a, a okay. Motocross M- guy. Ca- capital G. The MG. The MG. The, the OMG. Original <laughs> motorcycle this gangster. Last name. <laughs> the OMG. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I uh, have to put that in the title of this uh, episode. Please remind me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so he is, uh, he became a Christian. He, he decided he was on fire for the Lord. That was the other thing that they kept saying. When they, whenever they would talk about somebody, they go, he really loves the Lord. He's on fire for the Lord. And, and that's the lingo that they use. And it, it's just, none of that resonates with me. But anyway... This guy's really on fire for the Lord. Now he's in his 80s and he's a walker. And he he goes around and he just tells everybody about Jesus. And and it, this was on the we were talking about hanging with sinners. And he's and this they brought this guy up and he said he doesn't have time for a relationship. He just has to tell people about Jesus. And so he was trying to agree. He was trying to yeah. agree with he's me. Trying to agree with you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I and I appreciate that. But He's telling the story about this guy's ministry and his lifelong ministry, and he has led over 18,000 people to the Lord, 18,000 people to the Lord. And I'm listening to all this, and he goes, when I introduce him to people at my church, and they, they shake hands with him, and they talk to him, and they walk away, he goes, they have no idea who he is. You have no idea who you've met. You've had no idea the giant you know, of, of evangelicalism that you've met. And I don't want to take anything away from whatever God is doing in a person's life. But first of all, if you were to, I don't know how many people have come to know Jesus as a result of my influence because I don't track it. I don't, I don't keep track of it. Right. Um, 
And I just don't think, even if I did, if I had it on a spreadsheet, like you're saying, Peach, mm-hmm. and I had it, and I, the tally mark, I would be completely uncomfortable because I don't know what happens to people after they quote unquote make a decision right. to to follow the Lord. I know for a fact that there are people in my church who identify as Christians who are not. I mean, I know I know for a fact. Well, I'm a believer. Right. It's like, well, not you don't believe what I believe. Right. You don't right. believe in the same Jesus that he's, is he's, mentioned in the Bible. He's planted eighteen thousand seeds. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Right. Maybe. He's scattered them. He scattered mm-hmm. them. Probably mostly on rocky soil because there's just a lot of rocky soil out there right now. You don't control the soil. I know you don't. Well, I, but that's I'm it. I'm not the, saying the, the that parable, you do. three quarters of the seeds don't work. <laughs> right. So the vast majority of the planting and and doesn't doesn't involve I'm not blaming this guy for casting the no. seed on rocky soil. I'm just saying that the guy and everyone who's singing the praises of the guy needs to be realistic about it. They right. need to be honest right. about what's happening when when you go out and you evangelize on the street, for example, or you pass out tracts at a restaurant or you, you know, whatever it is that you do. And I when I say you can't hang out with sinners, you know, I I am being skeptical of the type of ministry or the type of evangelism that first wants to bribe people with coffee and pizza before they're willing to work up the courage to say something true about the scripture. And like you said, your friend was trying to agree with you about the right. you know the pitfalls of that. However, I no, am also was. equally skeptical about the type of ministry that thinks the only thing we've been put here to do is repeat John 3:16. Right. And and just plaster that up on billboards and write it on bathroom walls and you know tell people out on the street that God loves him and now it's t- you know he died for your sins so will you p- pray this prayer right because it's it's a lot more in depth than that actually making disciples um, which comes after the quote decision I guess if you want to call it that um, that that takes time and it takes resources and it it is exhausting and I think a lot of people don't know how. They don't know how to do it, but it actually leads to the depression and the anxiety, the purposelessness, the ambling that people it can that people can. end up doing in the church. That I, they end up either like quitting and right. becoming, you know, renouncing their faith, becoming apostate and leaving because they feel like they've got nothing to do. Right. Or they just get really, really sad. They feel like they're a terrible person. Because they just, because they failed and they've only they've only led eighteen thousand people. Why not twenty five? Well and, no, because most people haven't. Most people are not gonna tell you that they've led eighteen thousand people to Christ. They'll say, like you said, I haven't I don't even know if I've led one. But it's like yeah. that it's not about that. Okay, so what is it about? They don't really know. Well, and so, like I was, if we can bring this very back to the very beginning again, <laughs> that what the what the uh, urban churches or what the black church and what Martin Luther King specifically did very well was give people something to do now, giving some, giving people some goal, some mission. Now, unfortunately, it was a self serving mission that the civil rights movement was pushing. It was not necessarily God glorifying because, as Luke pointed out. MLK didn't even believe Jesus was God. He didn't actually right. think that he was divine. Um, so it's a problem when you kind of get that out of whack and you for, you don't know who God is and what he, he wants. But he still gave them something to do. But he gave them something to do here on earth. Stand up for civil rights. Sit Walk. in the back of the bus. They walked for over a year to work. Like, right. do you don't think, if you don't think that that gave them a sense of satisfaction in their own, you know, resolve and it, it bonded them to each other it gave it gave them like a, a certain what's the word elevation in their spirit that was like look at us doing something it may not seem like much but here we are walking to work every single day for over a year and that's humans need that and so um yeah again our white churches our evangelical white churches don't really know how to give people a vision. They don't know how to cast a vision for Christian living because it doesn't end when you say a prayer. If it does, God should just snatch us up right then. Like the moment that you make that decision for Christ, you should be whoop, taken up to heaven because mm-hmm. there's nothing left except to sit around and wait. Um, but but I do think that, that people are hungry for 
information about what they can do. They are hungry for a version of Martin Luther King, hopefully one that actually loves Jesus and, um, you know, recognizes who he was to give them a, a sense of what real life can look like, what real Christian living looks like. Well, if you have a, if you have a focus that is on people who are out there, the sinners that are out there that you're going to go and reach and scatter seed, um, and your own family, your own son and daughter mm-hmm. are attending a church that you know is theologically not is is, is not helping them. It's they're right. not they're not growing and they're not maturing. That's a that's an issue, and I'm not taking away anything from God. I mean, the, God probably calls people to go out and preach on street corners. He probably does that. Right. Um, but I think that there's a he doesn't call everybody to do that. And I don't think he calls most people to do that. I think he calls everybody to be, as you're saying, to be disciples mm-hmm. and to disciple the people in our your lives. immediate circle. Interesting. I just got a mental image of Jesus leaving the 99, leaving mm-hmm. the 18,000 to go after the one that he helped bring into the world. Hmm. Hmm. We don't usually think of it that way, do we? <laughs> usually... Usually we don't realize that the lost sheep is the one that's in our own family. Well, the, the bottom line is, and I, I have a relationship with this guy that I can say this, that it, it's easier to go through the Four Spiritual Laws book with a stranger on the beach right. than it is to have an awkward conversation with your son and daughter-in-law right. about the church that they're going to. Yep. And so that's, uh, that's the uncomfortable way to think about it, but it's true. I mean, it's easier, it's easier to be... Uh, dispassionately preaching to people that you don't know and you're never going to see again than it is to have an actual truth conversation with people that you are connected to. Hey, say something. Luke. OMG, say OMG. And that has been the Dr. Honorable John Branion <laughs> Excellency, sir. <laughs> Thanks for visiting The Comedian's House. If you want to spend more time with our family, you can follow John Branion on YouTube and Facebook. Also email nextdoor at johnbranion.com with your comments and questions. We'll see you next time.